Judges chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for forty years. Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or, or similar drink, and do not eat anything unclean. Behold, you, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Good evening. We invite you to be taking out your Bibles and be turning to the book of Judges. We're going to be continuing a series of sermons that we've uh, been engaged in over the past couple of months. I guess we took the month of June off, though, from this, the series. So, uh, But we are uh, going to resume and complete our series from the book of Judges this uh, the next couple of weeks. I hope that you will be taking out your Bibles and studying along with us. As we have observed in looking at the period of the Judges, that this is a time in Israel's history when they have come to the Promised Land. They are living in the land that God had sworn to them, to Abraham and to Isaac, to Jacob. And He has finally fulfilled that promise. And the children of Israel took the land through the leadership of Joshua, and they have been living there. But it has not been all the blessing that they had anticipated because they have been unfaithful. They have compromised. They have turned away from following God's Word and the law of Moses that He had given them. And because from the very start they compromised on small things, they begin to drift and things get worse with each passing generation. And by the time that we come to Judges chapter 13, several generations have passed. And this is the norm now in Israel to live a compromised life, to live a life of disobedience. And yet there's another side of the cycle that we need to understand that happens and occurs very frequently, that Israel, they would be enslaved by some foreign enemy. God would bring judgment upon Israel and a foreign nation would come in, a foreign tribe or uh, of some warring people, and they would come in and they would bring captivity upon the children of Israel. And so here they are, they are living in the promised land, and yet they are still controlled by another people. And it is in that cycle that they would begin to recognize we have failed. We have not been what God expects us to be. And they would ask for God to save them, to bring salvation and deliverance to them. And God would hear their cry and God would answer that prayer. Their repentance He would acknowledge and recognize and send a deliverer, send a judge, someone to save the people from that foreign enemy. We have looked at a few of the judges, just glimpses, just pictures of them as we have not tried to look at every single one of them or anything of that nature, but we've looked at 
Shamgar, we've looked at Gideon, we've looked at Jephthah, and tonight we're going to look at Samson. And Samson is, in my opinion, he is one of the most complicated figures in the Scriptures. He's one of the most complicated uh, judges, for sure, and he is sometimes kind of hard to pin down. And we'll look at some, some of the reasons why, but perhaps we are very familiar with the story of Samson because he has this superhero strength. If you wanted to be like any of the judges, it would probably be like Samson. I know I would. I would love to have the, that luscious long hair that he had. Um, but, you know, it's just not the cards for me. But he had the, the hair. He had this superhero strength. He is able to defeat lions. He was some educated and smart enough to devise riddles that could trick people. He tied 300 fox tails together and lit a torch and burned some fields. Uh, this is someone who does some incredible and fascinating things that make for great discussion and great study and something that makes for a very interesting Bible class for certain. He easily was deceived, however, because of some of the failures that he had. And at the end of his life, even, we see on the picture above us that he was able with his bare hands to tear down the temple of Dagon. We learn a lot from Samson. We probably learn more what not to do because of his example. Yet we see what God is able to accomplish through someone like him. Someone who is not completely interested in doing the will of God. I think it's safe to say that Samson spent most of his life satisfying his own desires and his own pleasures. I think perhaps that you could see that there might be a change at the end of his life, but it's still not without its complications. And so the question about Samson, is he a hero of faith or is he a villain? Is he an enemy of God? Because much of his life is spent while he does indeed judge Israel and defeat the Philistines. He does so in some compromised ways. And Samson is certainly a product of his generation. He is certainly a product of the type of people that Israel was at that point in time. And I think that's what's so fascinating about Samson in studying his life and some of the things that occur in his life is that we are all products of our environment. We are all products of what is going on around us. We are no different. Samson is no different. And sometimes the challenge is overcoming the environment that we are in. And perhaps we can see a glimpse of that by the end of Samson's life in his example. But as we note in Judges chapter 13, in verse 1, it says, Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. That's the continuing story in the book of Judges. That Israel again 
is given over to their sin. And they do evil and wickedness. And they turn to idolatry. And the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. And then God initiates a plan. And that the angel of the Lord appears to this woman who is barren. And it says in verse 3, Behold, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. And he tells her that he is going to be a Nazarite, which is, he would be taking the Nazarite vow. We find the background to that in the book of Numbers, in Numbers chapter 6. In Numbers, the sixth chapter, where in the law, as the children of Israel were at Mount Sinai, as they had not yet departed for the promised land, in Numbers chapter 6 and in verse 1, God gives these instructions to Moses. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When a man or woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to dedicate himself to the Lord, he shall abstain from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar, whether made from wine or strong drink, nor shall he drink any grape juice, nor eat fresh or dried grapes. All the days of his separation, he shall not eat anything that is produced from the grapevine, from the seeds, even to the skin. All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall pass over his head. He shall be holy until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall let the locks of hair on his head grow long. All the days of his separation to the Lord, he shall not go near to a dead person. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother, for his brother, or for his sister. When they die because his separation to God is on his head, all the days of his separation he is holy to the Lord. As you think about the description of the Nazarite, someone who is completely devoted to doing what God's will is. That's what Samson, as we are beginning to get the very initial start of his story, before he is even born, before he has even been conceived by his parents, there is this dedication that he is going to be holy to the Lord. He's going to be someone who is special. He's going to be separated in a very unique way. And we, are, we have high and lofty expectations now. And God is setting him apart. And what is interesting in Numbers chapter 6, it seems that the Nazarite vow is a voluntary vow. But here, as the angel of the Lord appears to Manoah's wife and tells him, tells her rather, that she is going to bear a son, he is going to be a Nazarite, the angel says. That this is someone who is going to be special. He's going to be doing the Lord's will. That's at least the expectation that we have here for Samson. But as you continue on to know the rest of the story about Samson, it seems that Samson is far from that ideal. And that what I think we need to learn from the story of Samson is that we need to give ourselves completely and totally to the Lord. That's something that we need to understand about this Nazarite vow that Samson was under. That he was supposed to be completely devoted to God 
and committed to following His will and doing whatever God said. And yet, Samson in his life played very fast and loose with that Nazarite vow. And by the time you come to the end of his story in chapter 16, and in verse 17, as he is with Delilah and she is trying to find out what is the secret to your strength, and he says in verse 17, So he told her all that was in his heart and said to her, A razor has never come on my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I will become weak and be like any other man. What you see there is that Samson did not regard this Nazarite vow as something special. It was just something he's grown up with. You can see that he did not take this as something serious. And even though Samson never seems to truly appreciate God's blessing over his life, Samson took those blessings and he took them for granted. And that's something that we can all be in danger of doing. If you notice in going back to chapter 13, and we're going to go back and forth a little bit in the story of Samson in Judges chapter 13 through 16. And so we're going to be concentrating most of our time there, but we'll be flipping back and forth from those chapters. But in chapter 13 and in verse 24, it says, Then the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson, and the child grew up, and the Lord blessed him. That here is Samson as he is growing up, he is blessed by the Lord. From the day of his birth, Samson has this blessing from God. And he is going to spend much of his life wasting those opportunities and that blessing. You continue on in chapter 14, the Spirit of the Lord helped Samson defeat the lion that we read about. In verse 5, it says, Then Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came as far as the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily so that he tore him as one tears a young goat though he had nothing in his hand, but he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. In verse 19, as Samson gives this riddle to the Philistine people, he says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed thirty of them and took their spoil and gave the changes of clothes to those who told the riddle. And his anger burned, and he went up to his father's house. That God is with Samson. The Lord is with him, and He is with him in a very unique way. You continue on in chapter 15. In chapter 15, whenever the after Samson has burned the Philistine crops and he has uh, been imprisoned, in verse 14, it says, When he came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted as they met him, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, so that the ropes that were on his arms were as flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds dropped from his hands. Here is a man who has never been in danger because the Spirit of the Lord is with him because God is with him, and he misses that completely. Because as you notice in chapter 16 and verse 17 with Delilah, he told her that his hair was the key to his strength didn't he? He said, it's my hair. 
But I think what Samson missed was that it was not his hair that gave him strength. It was the Lord who gave him strength the entire time. In all those passages that we just read, it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. It didn't say that his hair saved him and gave him strength, does it? It was that God was with him and he wasted that thought and that understanding. He missed it completely. It went right over his head. I think there is an important lesson for each and every one of us who would be a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that we need to recognize God's blessing. We need to be aware of how God works and operates in our life. We need to be thankful that God is providentially involved in our lives. We need to be thankful for that. But what we need to do is we need to embrace our commitment that we made to God. Samson, he was under this vow. And he was supposed to be completely devoted to the Lord. And if we make a commitment to God, then we need to be faithful to that commitment. You might consider with me the Gospel of Luke in Luke chapter 9. In Luke, the ninth chapter. And in verse 57, Jesus is teaching His disciples about discipleship. About what it means to really follow Him. And it says in verse 57, as they were going along the road, someone said to Him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. And He said to another, Follow Me. But He said, Lord, permit Me first to go and bury My Father. But He said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit Me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, No one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. The first man that comes and sees Jesus, he's saying, let me follow you, Lord. <laughs> I, I want to be part of what you have to offer. And then Jesus tells him, this is going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. That the foxes have holes, birds of the air, they have their nests but I don't have anywhere to lay my head. And if you're going to follow me, then that's what you're accepting. We're not told whether the guy followed him or not. I have a suspicion that if he did follow him, we would have been told that. The way I read this, I think he is. Luke is indicating that he probably chose to not Except the difficult way. Then Jesus says to another, follow me. Become my disciple. But then this one, He says, well, I want to go. I need to go bury my father. And it's not that taking care of family responsibilities or other obligations such as work, it's not that any of that is wrong. But it's about His priorities. Because He said, Lord... Permit me first to go 
and bury my father. The same is true about what the third guy says. Lord, he says, but first permit me to go say goodbye. It's about our priorities. And if you're going to follow Jesus, it has to be Him who is your number one priority. And that's something that you see that Samson, he should have been. He should have been this shining example as a Nazarite of what it means to put God first. And he plays very fast and loose with that responsibility. You and I, we are disciples of Jesus. And Jesus is telling us that we have to put Him first. Whether it be family and saying goodbye, we may, have, we may not get that chance. Or whenever it comes to taking care of other responsibilities. Maybe it's dealing with an estate of our parents. Jesus says, first you have to prioritize the kingdom of God. And if we are going to say that we are disciples of Jesus, that we are going to follow Him, then we better plan on finishing the journey. We have to make a plan. We have to count the cost that we can finish the course. Because Jesus says no one, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. No one is fit for the kingdom of God. If you're going to look back and long for what you used to have and what's behind you. I used to, in the summer times, I used to mow yards to make a little money. And, you know, if you have a push mower especially, I'd always want to kind of look back and make sure I was going in a straight line. I took pride in having a straight line. You know what would happen if I start looking back? I'd veer off. Absolutely. That's what Jesus is saying, that if you're going to start looking back, you're not going to finish the course. You're not fit for the kingdom of God. If you can't make the commitment to see it all the way to the end, Jesus is saying don't make the commitment. Something that we learn from the story of Samson is that we need to be committed to the Lord. A second lesson that we learn from the story of Samson, perhaps this is the most obvious one, but we don't need to allow attraction to the opposite sex to doom that commitment to God. Samson definitely allowed his interest in women to be one of his weaknesses. In Judges chapter 14, in Judges chapter 14, whenever Samson, he has grown up, he's become a young man, and he is beginning to accept his responsibility as a judge of Israel. In Judges chapter 14, it says, Then Samson went down to Timnah, verse 1, and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and his mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you 
go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Go get her for me, for she looks good to me. You can see what's driving Samson. It's looks and beauty. And you might think, well, preacher, any, any young man is going to want to marry a, a beautiful woman. Oh, well, yes, that's true. I don't, I don't deny that. But it's about what's motivating him and what's pushing him. Because this is not going to be the first or, or the last time that something like this happens. Because of that attraction to this Philistine woman, he was manipulated by her. He let his guard down. You continue on in the, in the same chapter of Judges chapter 14 after they are prepared to be married. In Judges chapter 14, he is giving a riddle to the Philistines. And it says in verse 15, Then it came about on the fourth day that they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband so that he will tell us the riddle or we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us to impoverish us? Is this not so? Samson's wife wept before him and said, You only hate me and you do not love me. You have propounded a riddle to the sons of my people and have not told it to me. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told it to my father or mother, so should I tell you? However, she wept before him seven days while their feast lasted, and on the seventh day he told her because she pressed him so hard, she then told the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed thirty of them and took their spoil and gave the changes of clothes to those who told the riddle. And his anger burned, and he went up to his father's house. But Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his friend. In this whole sorry story, uh, you see Samson's bad character and his judgment that he is not taking his vow as a Nazarite seriously. He is he's taking it in, in a very whimsical kind of way. And he's making riddles and things like that to, in which he's trying to entrap people. And because of his wife that he married just because of her beauty... He is he allows them to figure out the riddle. Continue on in chapter 15, after a while it says in verse 1, In the time of wheat harvest, Samson visited his wife with a young goat and said, I will go in to my wife in her room. But her father did not let him enter. Her father said, I really thought that you hated her intensely, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please let her be yours instead. Here's his father-in-law, and he's like, look, I gave her to your friend, but here, take her younger sister because she's even more beautiful. He knows what makes Samson tick, doesn't he? 
in chapter 16 and verse 1, Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went in to her. In verse 4, After this, it came about that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Are we beginning to see something about his character? And with Delilah again, he was easily manipulated, trusting her intentions. And yet she was clearly on the side of the enemies of God's people. What we see in the life of Samson is that sexual attraction is persistent. It's a constant drive and motivator for him. And it became something that brought great trouble in his life. And sexual attraction is persistent and natural, but it must be controlled. The New Testament is clear with warnings of how we have to beware of sexual immorality. In the book of 2 Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 2, as Peter is describing the character of those who would abandon Christ and go after false teachers, become false teachers themselves, in those who would turn to immorality and great wickedness, in 2 Peter chapter 2 and in verse 14, I love the description that Peter uses here. He says, "...having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin." I can't imagine a better description for our society as a whole than that. That there are people who just have eyes full of adultery. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul warned about the importance of keeping yourself pure and holy in your sanctification. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1, finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. That you have to know how to control yourself. To control your desires. And you cannot allow the sexual temptations and the battle for your eyes to be something that controls you. It's why Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. And there are great people, there are great people that have battled this temptation. Kings like David, for instance, who's described as a man after God's own heart. He struggled 
with sexual immorality and adultery. Judges like Samson fell because of this temptation. No one is exempt from this, men or women. Sometimes we think whenever we're talking about sexual immorality and adultery, we're only talking about men. That's certainly not the case. I've known, sadly, of elders and preachers, Bible class teachers, preachers' wives, that have given in to this temptation. This is not just something that affects the world. This is something that affects people in the Lord's church. It can affect anyone, and it can affect you. Sexual temptation can manifest itself through addictions to pornography, and sexual activity before marriage, adultery, sensual activities. And if there's something that we need to learn from the story of Samson is that we cannot allow that to be our downfall. The third and final point for us to consider this evening is that it's never too late to humble yourself before God. In the life of Samson, after Samson told Delilah about him being a Nazarite to God and how his hair had never been cut and shaved. And she handed him over to the Philistines. In Judges chapter 16, in Judges chapter 16 and in verse 23, it says, Now the lords of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their god and to rejoice. For they said, Our God has given Samson our enemy into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their god, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hands. Even the destroyer of our country who has slain many of us. It so happened when they were in high spirits that they said, Call for Samson that he may amuse us. They called for Samson from the prison and he entertained them and they made him stand between the pillars. Then Samson said to the boy who was holding his hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women and all the lords of the Philistines were there and about 3,000 men and women were on the roof looking on while Samson was amusing them. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me just this time, O God, that I may at once be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and braced himself against them, the one with his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, in verse 30, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bent with all his might so that the house fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed in his life. Here is Samson. 
at the end of his life. You think about, while God had given him so much success in his life, there were still some humiliating things that had happened to him. I think in order to teach him, he needs to learn humility. In chapter 14 and verse 20, his wife was given to a friend of his. In chapter 15 and in verse 6, that wife and her father were killed. He had been betrayed by his wife and Delilah, another woman that he loved. And here are the Philistines who have gouged out his eyes. They have brought him to the house of their god Dagon. Blaspheming him, blaspheming the name of the Lord. And they want Samson to come out and entertain them. And it's in this final act of his life that, in this humiliation and the brokenness, that he finally humbles himself and trusts God. And that he actually prays to God. And he doesn't trust in himself. He doesn't trust in his long hair. He trusts that God is the one who gives him strength. In verse 28, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me just this time. He's known from the time that he was a little toddler that he was supposed to judge Israel. He's grown up knowing his role and his responsibility. And presumably he would understand that an attack against him was an attack against the God of heaven. And he asked that God remember him and strengthen him. Because they aren't just making fun of Samson, they are making fun of people of Israel, and they're making fun of and mocking the God of heaven. And you have the statement there in verse 30 that I find to be an ironic statement. In one sense, it's a good statement that he judges, he judges and delivers Israel. Makes a very loud statement. He goes out with a bang, if you will. But also I find it full of sadness. And that the very last statement, and if you would think of this like an obituary, so the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed in his life. That his death was more valuable than his life. 
I find that to be sad. Because Samson wasted so much of what he could have done for Israel. And while he was able to deliver Israel, he could have done so much more. And maybe you're thinking, I've wasted a lot of years of my life following after the world and sin and all the various temptations that are out there. Many of us could probably say the same thing. We've wasted so much of our time here on earth. But by God's grace and through our repentance and our commitment to Him, we can be considered a hero of faith. No matter what sin it might be, it might be sexual sin that you've had to overcome. Like Samson. Maybe it's something else that you've had to battle. Anger. And you had to learn self-control in other ways. It's never too late to humble yourself before God. As long as you're alive, it's never too late. And I say that Samson, we began our study this evening, is that Samson is a complicated person. <laughs> because I read Judges chapter 13 through 16, and I don't find just a whole lot that he does that's good, just to be quite frank. And even if he does do something good, it seems that he kind of got there through a shortcut or by taking uh, the wrong way. <laughs> but then I look in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, in the 11th chapter, in this great chapter of men and women of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, if you would turn there and look at verse 32, after the Hebrew writer has taken over 30 verses to talk about people of faith, People like Abraham and Enoch and Moses and Sarah and Isaac. All these men and women of great faith. In verse 32, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. I read that and I'm like, how does Samson get in there? <laughs> The only thing that I have been able to conclude, and if you have some insight into this, then I would love to, to hear more of it. The only thing that I can really come to is that at the end of his life, he humbled himself before God and prayed that God would give him strength. That he recognized that he could still do something good 
even if it meant giving his life. You may be here tonight and you may think, well, I've done too many evil things. I've wasted too many years of my life. And there's just no way God is going to forgive me. There's no way anyone else would ever forgive me. That the brethren, the church, would not forgive me. If they knew of all the things that I've done, they wouldn't forgive me. They'd look at me differently. They'd judge me. Maybe you're thinking that. Maybe you're thinking God wouldn't forgive you. Maybe you're thinking people are just going to judge you and think you're trying to get something out of it. What I have to tell you is look to Samson. And in the very last moment of his life, he realized God could still be found. Humble yourself before God. Samson is one of the most complicated figures in the Bible. In most of his life, it seems that he was just going through the motions. And even in his death, there's still perhaps some complications there that we could spend some time talking about. Nevertheless, the one who knows the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. God and the Holy Spirit, they say that Samson was a person of faith, at least by the end of his life. And no matter who you are or where you are in your own journey, you can come to God and be counted as a person of faith. You don't want to waste any moment that you have breath. In Acts chapter 24, and in verse 25, there's Felix, the Apostle Paul is talking to. And Paul is imprisoned. He's discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. It says that Felix became frightened and said, Go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. He waited for a time that presumably never came. Maybe that's what you're doing. You keep, off, keep on putting things off when you know you need to make things right. Or just a couple chapters later, when Paul was before Agrippa, and Agrippa said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Are you ready to become a Christian and a child of God? Don't keep putting off obedience to the Lord. Make your life right now. If Samson were here today, I think he would tell you the same thing. Because if you keep putting it off, then you might lose that chance to make your life right with the Lord. If we can help you in some way this evening, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?